and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. You ready? Here we go. Julia Robson, my first interview for 2022, and I'm so excited to share your story because you're amazing. So tell everyone first what it is that you do. Well, first of all, Happy New Year. Happy <laughs> 2022. <you. laughs> Hopefully this will be a much better year than oh, the year please. before. Yes, I hope so too. Uh, so in terms of what I do, I run my own business called Online Investigations. Ooh. I am a private investigator and as my business name suggests, I have a strong focus with the online world. So right. trying to solve cases, either using someone's digital footprint or trying to unmask all that anon- anonymous activity online. Oh my God, I just love the sound of that job. I would love doing it myself. So uh, let's start with what kind of cases do you do? And then I'm going to ask you why you set it up, but I'm nosy. I have to find the answer first. What sort of people will come and look for an online investigator? It's really a mixed bag. When you think of the private investigation world, most people tend to think of the cheating spouses (laughs) and the domestic cases. And look, that's definitely one element. But the private investigation world is a huge industry with with lots of spinoffs. So it could be locating individuals or trying to find out information about a competitor in terms of business or trying to... Oh, really? I hadn't even thought of that one. Oh, competitor intelligence is a a huge industry in our world. And definitely a lot of people these days only spend a couple of years at one job and then they tend to go to somewhere else. And it's trying to understand are the secrets going with them and how can we confirm if that's happening. Oh, right. So there's lots of things. There's a lot of anonymous communities online. So if they are doing the wrong thing, it's how can we infiltrate them to learn about those particular organisations. Wow. (laughs) These are not the answers I expected. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is the world we live in. And, And really it's about if someone has a problem, whether it's a business or whether it's an individual, and they say, how can I solve this? How can I find that missing jigsaw piece? Normally they'll say, you know what, I'll bring up an investigator and get them to solve it for me. That's amazing. Uh, this it, is what we're here for. <laughs> it, it just feels like it's so American to me. It's just all those PIs in America. We never really hear about them here. So, And I'm, of course, ecstatic that you're a woman doing it. Um, one of the things that we talked about really before we came on air or when we had the chat last week was that I remembered um, there being a private investigator on Nova FM with Husey and Kate, I don't know how many years ago, and the kinds of cases then, the one that stuck in my mind was someone trying to find their sister, I think it was, and find out if they were still alive. And then you told me that was you. <laughs> uh, funnily enough. Uh, well, it was actually, rather than Husey and Kate, I think I spoke to them a couple of times, but I did have on Mix FM, oh, Chrissy Swan and Jane Hall. Yes, they it had, must have been them. It must have yeah, been them. Yeah, on the breakfast show, they had That's the PI right. case files. Yes. So listeners would ring up and 
the way the magic of radio would have 24 hours to solve it. And (laughs) it would be a case of finding individuals or confirming if a spouse was cheating, Cheating. those (laughs) sorts of things. And funnily enough, I was always able to solve it within that 24-hour period. But, But yeah, it was pretty good. In reality, I presume it takes sort of a week or two really to go and chase stuff down, is it? Or, Or is it how long is a piece of string? Yeah, there's a little bit more to it. And in this instance, we got inundated with stories and cases. So it was the opportunity to really look at the ones that we thought, yeah, we can probably solve this within that period of time. I mean, there was some really upsetting stories where families would write in with their children that had been missing, long-term missing cases. And Unfortunately, they're just not ones that we're going to be able to solve in such a short period of time, but definitely those are the cases that I like to take on in my spare time as as a pro bono sort of case that I can work on. And so have you found people with long, you know, people that have been missing for years that you've managed to find them? Well, funny you should mention that. There was actually a case that we were able to put on the air where there was a woman that she was just a child when she was, I think, about 17. She jumped out the window of her parents' house and ran away with a man who was a cult leader. He was quite a bit older. And the sister contacted the radio show and said, I haven't seen my sister in about 30 years. We just want to know that she's okay and we haven't been able to find her. And we managed to track her down. And it was quite remarkable. But off the back of that, Chrissy and I went on to do that show the spin-off of the British show Long Lost Family and there was only oh, one wow. season on Channel 10 but it, I mean these things happen miracles do happen and it those are the types of cases that I love working oh, on yeah, but it I doesn't bet. happen all the time no but I bet it's cases like that would that would get you bouncing out of bed and take you through the next couple of shitty cases I imagine <laughs> well yeah you don't always have happy endings when it comes to the private investigation world but those are definitely the ones that People go, yes, I'm in the right job. Yeah, I bet. Okay, which then leads me perfectly to what made you want to become a private investigator? What made you even think about setting up a business like that? Uh, good question. I was a pri- well, I was a police officer to begin with when right. I was 20 years old. Yeah. And I was in the police for a few years And there was a lot of pressure on me to specialise and I really wanted to join the child protection team. And my senior sergeant at the time said, look, you're very young, you're going to be dealing with some very heavy topics. Take the two years leave without pay that the police at the time offered. Go and get some more life experience and come back because once you specialise, you are going to be a police officer for life and that's going to be you. I said, okay, I'll take your advice. I really respected his opinion. And I went over to the UK. I joined the corporate investigation world. And that was my first really real taste of the private side of things. Right. And I guess long story short, this is how I ended up being a private investigator, and so I just never returned. The, yeah, never went back to the police force. And was there um, a bit of a light bulb moment for you 
that made you decide to go out on your own rather than go back to the police force? Was there something that happened that you just went, right, I'm going to set it up myself? Yeah. Well, to begin with, I was working in the UK and I had the best job (laughs) over there. It really was. So I was still in my 20s and over there I was working for a corporate investigation firm whose clients were fashion brands, so high-end fashion and jewellery brands. Now, I'm not a girly girl in any sense of the imagination, but what I was asked to do was to, to fly around Europe all obviously paid for, <laughs> yeah, all paid for by the company and attend fashion shows and market <laughs> houses and go to uh, the high-end jewellery stores and try on half a million dollar worth of jewellery uh, just so we could get evidence if these people were ripping off other trademarks and patents. Yeah, I wondered about that, right. And infringements there. So it was so much fun because all it was was acting. You just, I had to pose as a fashion buyer and <laughs> see if I could work my way in. And it was just a bit of fun. Oh, it my God. It was just acting. And I thought, you know what, this is the life. And... It came to a point where I was in a relationship at the time and his visa didn't work out in the UK. So he had some friends here in Melbourne and he moved over here. I was kind of in the UK having the time of my life with this amazing job. And I thought, what do I do? And it really, I took the chance. I was young and in love and thought, I'll just go see how my relationship works out. If we return back to the UK, well, so be it. And I came to Melbourne. That was about 2007, I think it was. And I started working for another firm and they there was a whole lot of problems with that that we yeah. can obviously explore if we need to. But This was when I really got introduced to, I guess, the murky world of the domestic side of private investigation. There wasn't that same kind of demand here for investigating fashion brands and all that sort of stuff because they're headquarters. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Well, amongst other things, when you're living on just a big island, essentially, a lot of the things that... Yeah, a lot of the things that were happening in in Europe just aren't happening here. So it was a different kind of yeah. investigation and the requirements. Um, so that's when I got my first taste of infidelity and <laughs> that murky side of things. Yeah. And I just kind of realised that that sort of, those sort of jobs just wasn't for me. And that's when I said, look, there's an opportunity here that I can really explore the online world. It was about 2008 and a lot of investigators uh, retired male police officers that didn't even know how to turn a computer on. And I said, yeah, I can have an opportunity here to explore that niche of the online world. And that was my light bulb moment to go out on my own and focus. And were you scared? Were you nervous about, you know, the? the, I know a lot of people, especially when you – 
have left something like the police force, which is incredibly stable, to go out on your own and not know how you're going to be able to pay your rent and all that kind of thing. How did you feel about making the leap? Uh, yeah, uh, it was pretty <laughs> well, nerve-wracking. Really think that way. <laughs> well, on top of all that, I was really uncomfortable with how things were turning out with the workplace that I was at. So Uh, I had a nightmare boss situation and it was a case where he loved the jobs of the infidelity cases, so confirming cheating spouses. He loved the cases where we'd be hired by councils to see if those massage parlours were actually providing, you know, broth- were actually brothels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to, to be fair with you, I was sick of looking at surveillance agents sitting in front of me while I was watching footage of them with hidden cameras of them being provided sexual services by someone that was pretending just to have a massage. And I thought, I can't look at you in the the eye when I can see you in a state of undress on the camera. (laughs) I just thought, you know what, some people thrive on that side of things, but for me it just was not appealing to me at all. And there was a lot of women that were coming to me going, oh, thank goodness you're a woman, I feel so comfortable, I want to hire you to suggest my husband to oh see if he God. if he would cheat and I just I can't thought, believe that that's true I always thought that was like American game show where they try and trick someone into being um you know whatever it is um, having an affair I didn't realize that that actually happened in real life as well well there's I'm a whole term for it <laughs> yeah it's called honey trapping and right. oh, yeah, they will they will hire people. And for, for me, I guess there's an element of discretion in our, in, um, in our industry. So if I don't want to take on a job, I won't. And it was causing a lot of issues because my boss was saying, why aren't you taking these jobs on? Right. And right. I just was saying, because I don't have any interest in it. And <laughs> Makes me feel a loved, little bit sick yeah, in my mouth. <laughs> he, he loved those jobs. Right. So... It wasn't a case of saying, oh, my gosh, I'm so scared about going out on my own. It was a case of saying, you know what, this is exactly what I want to do. And I know that I don't want to be part of that murky side of the the private investigation world. And it was about 2010, I think it was, a man came to me and said, look, my sister has started a relationship with someone she met online. He's in Malaysia and I don't think he is who he is claiming to be. Right. And what we're pretty comfortable now, you know, over 12 years later, that term catfishing is pretty commonplace these days. But we had worked out that this was a Nigerian organised crime gang working out of Malaysia. And because I knew exactly who it was, we essentially got in contact with that with the 60 Minutes program and they said, yes, this is a topic we really want to learn more about. We'll chuck you on a plane. We'll get the authorities over there on board because, of course, they want to look good for an uh, international television program that they're doing the right thing. And this was a really unique opportunity to expose this epidemic of yeah. online romance scams. Still and an epidemic. Oh, it's even worse, unfortunately. But 
off the back of that episode airing, there were just so many people making contact saying, please investigate my online relationship. And it was a really good lead in to say, you know what, people are trying to find out how I can contact this Julia Robson woman because she can investigate my online relationship. And so that was really how I kind of got that opportunity to just go out on my own and and get that word of mouth out there to start my business. Right. Oh, you're such a fascinating woman. Okay, so let's go right the way back. Um, I know that you didn't realise I was going to ask this, but let's go back to, I don't know, high school. Tell me, well, firstly, tell me, what kind of a family did you grow up in? Was it big or small? What did your parents do? And then take me through whether you liked school and then we'll go on from there as to how you've ended up here. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I guess I my my sister and I, my parents, my dad was a post-shop worker. Well, it, yeah, he's retired now, but my okay. mum was an accountant. There was no police or investigators in my family or extended family at all. My extended family were the majority of them were teachers and all those different occupations. I didn't want to do any of that. And I'm guessing this is in New Zealand, just by the accent. (laughs) Absolutely. So Auckland, New Zealand. Right. I just really didn't know what I wanted to do when I was at high school. And were you really any good at school? Were you kind of rebellious or were you the good girl or somewhere in between? I think I was somewhere in between. I always attended class. I remember that, but I wasn't someone that disliked school, but I wasn't particularly amazing at it either I I love sports so I probably attended school just so I could do the sport sport, (laughs) I guess and I also loved the computer classes funnily enough so a combination of those I thought I'd sit out the other classes but I also enjoy just the socializing aspect of it as well Um, and so did you go to year 12 I did. So that was seventh form in New Zealand, the equivalent of it. Oh, God, and that's confusing with year seven being the first year of high school. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, then they changed it as well. So I think it's now year 12 is the final year yeah, in that, New well, Zealand. Yeah, that would be the same as Australia and England and, and those ones, I guess. So, okay, so you finished school. Did you go to uni? What, what did you want to do when you finished school? Well, Again, I still had no idea what I wanted to do and then school finished before I had the opportunity to figure that out. So I I ended up taking a gap year. I went over to the UK and I looked after uh, individuals with disabilities, which just was a really great opportunity to try something different. And I thought by then I'd figure out what I wanted to do and I came back to New Zealand and I still hadn't worked that out. But I... I always loved reading true crime. Loved it. Loved. Okay. I got. I read so many books and always read the news about all different mysteries and unsolved issues in the world. And I thought, yeah, I want to do something along those lines. Okay. So 
I thought I'll do a criminology degree. Now, in New Zealand, you could only do that as a second year subject at university, and that was only offered in Wellington. But I wanted to stay in Auckland, so I thought I'd do psychology as my first year, and then Mm -hmm. I will take, then I'd move to Wellington and, and carry on with criminology. But in my first year, I went to something like an, an expo and there were some police officers there and they uh-huh. had a stand they set up. You. And they said, look, if you join the police, you can actually do your criminology degree remotely and stay in Auckland. And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. God, isn't it so, the weird things that, that end up steering our career I mean that is just so random really that that's why you joined the police that you could do the course well yeah but but there you go they were very sneaky because it wasn't until I got to police college and I was kind of gloating saying oh yeah you know I joined so I could do my criminology degree and someone kind of pulled me aside and said you know that's not right. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> and I thought, oh, cheeky. So, yeah, they were actually lying to me. And police lying to yeah, the the <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, yeah, but by then I was absolutely loving it. I thought yeah. the police is cool. <laughs> you get um, the exposure to just different things and the fact that you're getting paid money. Like yeah. I was getting the salary <laughs> and I thought, wow, money. Yeah, this is, this is a little bit of fun. So by then they already had me and I think they knew that. So I'm sure it had worked before on them, which was why they were holding these expos at the university. Right. So, uh, so you joined the police force in New Zealand. How long did you stay? Yeah, so I was there for a few years, I think about three years, so not that long, Um, but it really was, I just loved it. It was the best job ever. Pretty difficult, though, in your 20s when you were policing the same area that all your friends are partying in. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, that was interesting. I mean, more often than not, because I was policing the inner CBD of the Auckland area, I would have a lot. And because it's Auckland, pretty much everyone kind of knew everyone. Knows everyone. It would be three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and people would come up to you and go, oh, Julia, can you give us a ride home? (laughs) (laughs) So I suppose sometimes you ended up being a glorified taxi service, but the rest of the time, obviously, you're dealing with the kind of underbelly of the area that you were living and breathing. And there were ups and downsides to that, but as I said, it was really that opportunity to kind of go overseas and get a bit more life experience before I came back and 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 settled yeah, down. Great boss, what a great boss to say that to you. I I, I really respect him as well. So um, let's go into a little bit more detail. So you um, he suggested that you decided to go back to the UK. Uh, what happened when you got there? Did you know what you were going to do when you arrived? No, I had no idea, actually. And when you leave the police, you kind of think, well, I can't just go and work for a competitor because there is no competitor. (laughs) And so when you go over to the UK, because I wasn't a citizen, it wasn't like I could just join the police force over there. There was actually no other opportunity. So I remember... I I went for a terrible interview and I, 
got completely lost and I turned up late and it was working, it was for a film company and you would essentially try and find people that were selling those, you know, rip-off DVDs Yes, <laughs> back in the oh, day. Okay, so it was doing the, the, you know, the intellectual property stuff for, yeah, pe- lots of people ripping off DVDs all over the place in yeah. those days. And because I, it was just one of those terrible interviews, you know straight off the bat that you're not going to get the job. And I remember they kind of thought, you know, you're not the right person for us. And they asked these questions saying, can you carry heavy equipment? And they they got this thing in, in their head that because I was young, I wasn't going to be able to carry all the film equipment because ah, when they did these big sake. busts because there was all this recording equipment and so forth, and I just thought, yeah, we're, that, we're. That sounds like a crock to me because really if if it was your youth, I mean, surely you want young people to do it. They, could, they thought you couldn't do it because you were a girl by the sounds of it. I, I think you got it right on the money there. And so I was feeling really disheartened. I just thought, you know, what am I going to do? And then there was just an advertisement in the paper for a research analyst. And I thought, oh, okay, that sounds a bit like me. You know, I'm good at researching. And, yeah, it turned out that it was this corporate investigation company. And they said, actually, you'd do really well with the investigating side (laughs) rather than anything else. And... It just went from there. So I kind of fell on my feet in that instance. I was very lucky um, that that opportunity found itself and it just went from there. It just do, it does sound like the absolute dream job for a young girl. Oh, um, it was fun. How long did you do it for? Uh, so I did it for a couple of years. Oh, okay. And there was the opportunity to go to Afghanistan and then there was a lot of unrest there and they said, look, it's probably not a good idea for you as a female to be going over there at this period of time. (laughs) So I was really upset that I missed out on that opportunity and there were things like going to China to look at these uh, factories. Yeah, and particularly pharmaceutical companies. So there was a lot of these rip-off pharmaceutical brands, so medicines being made that were hitting out the back door essentially being sold on the black market and I really wanted to get involved in that side of things. Yeah, it would have been interesting. Yeah, it just really uh, was something that you just couldn't have those opportunities by coming to Australia. No, because the head offices aren't here, are they? And the population isn't here, so they don't care in the same way. Exactly. So, as I said, I, I came over here for a relationship and this was when things took a bit of a turn for me. Yeah, so can you tell me a bit more about this company other than it sounds friggin' hideous already with the idea of having to do things, but, but you were saying things really went wrong. What what happened in the end to get you out of there? Um, oh, look, if you're I, allowed to say, I, sorry, I don't want to, you know, if there's legal reasons why you shouldn't tell me, don't. <laughs> no, 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 it was just this idea that I didn't want to 
get involved in that murky underworld side. I think there's a lot of cases where I was finding men were contacting me. They were having relationships as a perfect example of something that I really didn't like, but I frequently saw. There are a lot of men that were falling in love with sex workers that they were engaging. And then these sex workers would leave the industry, but the men had by then fallen completely in love with them. And they right. thought, oh, yes, we have this genuine relationship. So because they couldn't get in contact with these women anymore who had left the industry, they would contact a private investigation firm and say, you can you please them. track them down and say that I still want to carry on the relationship and see if they were prepared to take it on? And that happened more than people realised. That is surprising, isn't it? I, I didn't know that either. And and can you tell me, um, sort of, on an average, do the women say, no, I'm not interested at all, that was a job, <laughs> go away, or do some of them say, yep, I'm up for it? I, I had a lot of those cases. Most of them I turned them down. Most of the ones that I ended up taking on for one reason or another because I felt comfortable with and it was made clear that I would never pass on any details unless the woman said, yes, I'm comfortable with it. There yeah. was only one instance, one instance where the woman said, thank you, I really, really miss this guy. And they ended up sending me a postcard from their wedding a few years later. And I thought, wasn't expecting that to be the outcome. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, just that kind of thing. And, and, you know, my boss, um, he really wasn't – essentially everything I learned about the private investigation world, everything he taught me – I learned to do the opposite. So, so whatever he said, yeah, whatever he said, this is what you should be doing. I took that on board and said, I'm going to do the opposite, do the opposite of that, or I'm going to learn another methodology in order to get that answer. And I'm grateful for that because I've really kind of developed my own style and I'm yeah. really comfortable in, in how I do things. Um but, yeah, at the same time, this is someone that when I went out on my own, he told everyone that I'd left the industry oh, because, bastard. yeah, he was he was really concerned that the work would go with me. Well, and The irony of it, of course, that you were leaving him because you hated the work that he was doing. Mm. You were never going to compete with him for that work. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And he knew that he couldn't do that work anyway. So the best way of dealing with that, because he knew he couldn't get those results and do that type of work that I was investigating, was by trying to shut down and ruin my opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't even want to ask what's happened to him, but I hope it's something not very nice. <laughs> well, the business is no longer operational, so that should speak okay, for itself. Good. Well, it does speak for itself. <laughs> All right. Now, um, the next thing I wanted to ask you is about your journey and your career journey. Now, you've been in the police, which is very male-dominated. Then you've been in private investigation. I would say it's pretty similar. Have you had any women that you can think of who've really supported you in your career? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's not a lot of... Yeah. <laughs> good, good, because one of the things I like, because this is She's the Boss, it's all about women. We're trying to make women more visible. Um, if, if you're happy to name them, give them a shout-out and tell everyone how great they are, what they did for you. So there was a podcast that I 
recently did. Uh, but okay. for seven years, I essentially tracked a fraudster around the world and he was causing a lot of wow. problems to a lot of people. And he would keep his scams low so he would always fly under the radar of police and never really come to the attention of the authorities, but he would have a lot of victims. Right. So by the time he would come to the attention of the police, he had already skipped town and in right. some instances had actually skipped the country completely. And I kind of realised that unless I tracked this guy and did my own investigation, he was just going to keep doing this. Right. And this was when podcasting was becoming quite popular. And I thought, okay, well, maybe if we get it out there that we're tracking this guy, people would dial in. Kind of where in the world is Charlie's situation? And then there was an opportunity where I could actually narrow him down and ultimately get him arrested. And there was a podcast that I ended up doing, but when I made it myself, I realized that I just wasn't doing it any justice because it sounded like a private investigator making a podcast. And <laughs> <laughs> the story was cool, but the uh, quality of it just wasn't up to, to scratch. And I really needed someone to help me get the story out there. And yeah. I had a lot of disasters approaching different media companies and media organizations. And there was one woman, Jennifer Collins, who yeah. really, she heard my story. And by this, I mean, I'm talking a long time to try and get the story out there. And I right. knew it was a great story, but just no one would give me the time of day to help me get this um, podcast up and running. And as soon as she heard the story, I contacted her out of desperation on LinkedIn. And I said, right. I have an amazing story. You just have to give me five minutes of your time. And she was the reason why I found her name. I Googled who is the best female in the entertainment Fantastic. industry. Right. And there was this list that came up and she was on the top of that list. And I said, right. okay, I'm going to find her. And I found her on LinkedIn and I, and I thought I'll just give it a go. And she essentially rang me straight away and said, yeah, I'll listen to you. It sounds interesting. Uh, and off the back of that, the podcast was released. It was named one of the top podcasts of 2020. It was wow. number one. Oh, um, my God, Julia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the thing is that, you know, if I if it wasn't for her, it, it, I was prepared to just Let put it, it to bed because I right. just wasn't getting anywhere with it and oh, I was so, so grateful. And people like Michelle Laurie uh, and Emily Webb from Australian True Crime, they interviewed me. They got the story out there. Fremantle, who produced the podcast, podcast. were a whole team of females. And if it wasn't for all these females helping me with this, this would have never happened. Um, wow. Oh, well, so. that's great. What a great, what a great story. <laughs> thank, thank you. I'm glad I asked you. 
Um, now, here we go. And I, I don't know what your... Are you married now? Do you have children? What, what is your family situation? I'm interested about how you're juggling work and life. Because one of the things now, I think I've interviewed about 150, 160 women, is the number of them that have had burnout because they have worked and worked and worked and worked every day, every night, and suddenly their body's gone, no, nope, you're going to have to stay in bed for the next year or whatever. So, And I had no idea that it was so prevalent. So now I always say to women, how are you juggling your work and life? Do you sort of have time out? Or because it's your own business, you're doing it all the time? Um. I guess because it is my own business, I love what I do. So yeah. any time I have spare time, I'm always trying to find a new case that I think I can add value to. So there are a lot of pro bono cases I take on that right. I love it. Uh, just researching off the bat. There, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess burnout has been an issue for me in the past. But I Oh really? Oh definitely. I think at one point with the Long Lost Family show that I, I touched on earlier, we had yeah. thousands of people that applied and right. because I was the sole investigator working on that, we looked at every single case. Oh, and it just got to the point where I was exhausted and I hadn't really figured out why can I, why am I really struggling to get out of bed in the morning? Why are my eyes going blurry when I'm looking at the computer screen? And I thought, you know, I think there's probably a bit more to it than that. And after Long Lost Family aired, I essentially shut down my business for a couple of months and just said, you know what, I'm taking an extended break. Oh, well and done. You know, you kind of left with those options to say, you know, do I just take a step back or am I going to reach that point where I no longer enjoy what I'm doing? And I never wanted to reach that point. I love doing what I'm doing. And any time where I'm kind of waking up in the morning going, oh, no, do I have to work on these cases again today, <laughs> I think, all right, I think it's time that I step away and go for a run or something like that. Right. Yeah, no, that's a good idea. But so weekends, you do work weekends and nights as well? I guess it depends on cases. It's, or do you say, yeah. no, nights are sacrosanct or Sundays I never work or do you have any rules like that? Uh, there are times with, with new inquiries I tend to only – really respond to them during business hours and yeah, most people respect that. Yeah. I think if someone's ringing me at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night, I used to answer those phone calls, <laughs> but these days they will like, I'll, <laughs> I'll tend to ring them back in the mornings and generally people are a lot more calmer and not in that heightened sense of yes, um, that's, yeah. Yeah, an, I could an imagine, emotional state. I could imagine state. after a couple of drinks would be the idea of, right, I'm going to get in a private investigator and you'd be on the receiving end of those kind of, you know, drunken, spontaneous ideas. Yeah. Okay, and here comes um, a question that a journalist suggested I ask and I always love the answers, which is, is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you that you'd be up for sharing? <laughs> oh, gosh. It could be anything. Um, I was in the under-18 New Zealand badminton team. 
there you go. The, the randomness of the answers that I get is fantastic. So, badminton champion then. <laughs> well, not really. Um, I mean, there weren't a lot of many people trying to get into the badminton team back then. Uh, so I guess I was just a fortunate loser. Um yeah, look, I really loved my badminton back then, but now I can't even get the shuttle over the net these days, and it's been I'm a bit rusty. But oh, there that's you a bit go. Weird. All right, and very last question, which is nothing to do with anything really, other than I'm obsessed with my mobile phone myself. I love my iPhone, and so I always ask people: Are there any clever apps that you know about that I might not know about that you use on your phone, either for business or for pleasure? Oh, that's such like a strange a question. I know, I know, but I just like I always hear about these great new apps. Well, actually, I'll tell you something. There is, see, talking about my background in acting when it comes to fashion buying. Yeah. Something that I have been really interested lately is finding out about your body shape and styling according to your body shape you know how they have yes. oval and inverted triangle and all those so sorts of things in, so are you interested in this for everyone or you've just been fascinated for yourself to see whether uh well not know. just for me because I, I just really wanted to change up my style and I okay. was kind of interested in saying okay well what actually suits me because I've never really known and so someone told me about an app called Ask Hugh and essentially you can take pictures of everything in your wardrobe and yeah. the app will tell you which items of clothing match other items of clothing and you can <laughs> uh, click on a colour and it will say the complementary colours that work well together. And oh, so, wow. yeah, I just thought, well, that's great because I love really colourful style and I wanted to do that but I just wasn't quite brave enough to venture into that so I always kind of wore just black and white and that's what I'm looking at at the moment, all that type of um all those types of apps that kind of t- tell you what you should be wearing based on what you've already got in your wardrobe. I oh, love it. I love it. Well, listen, Julia, if anyone did want to get hold of you for an investigation or for whatever, maybe to get you on their podcast, I would imagine, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Can you tell us? Is there a website? Yeah, so probably the best way to learn more about me is by going to my website directly. So that's onlineinvestigations.com.au. Right. Well, I just think you're amazing. I love what you do. I'm actually really jealous. I reckon if I could have another lifetime, I would be interested in doing something like that as well. So uh, thank you so much for sharing this career. You never know, you might inspire a whole lot of women to become private investigators. Well, I hope so. Women just have that, um, I don't know, that special ability to recognise something isn't quite right and their gut instinct normally is always right. So, yeah, more females should join the industry. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. No worries. Thank you for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au. 